Hey listeners, welcome to another season of Cozy Moon Podcast. We have made it to season eight. This season, I want to shine the light on mama's health, aka women's health, and some of these illnesses that I will be discussing with special guests can also affect men, but I really want to focus on what illnesses uh, women go through and deal with and have to make sure their bodies are in check, have to make sure their diet is in check, especially if they want to carry children or carrying children. And, you know, the knowledge of knowing your family history, how important it is for your health and your life. And that's what I wanted to focus on in this season. I hope you guys enjoy all of the guests. We're going worldwide with these guests. I'm talking to women across the water across the pond as they call it i'm talking to women from different walks of life and i just want you guys to get the information learn from the information and take that with you and spread it to someone who you know needed more insight on what they're going through or what their symptoms are i hope you guys enjoy cozy womb podcast don't forget to hashtag cozy womb podcast you can find me on twitter IG and Facebook. Hey, Cozy Warm fam. This is JC, the dopest mommy around and owner of He Hates My Teas, a novelty t shirt company based out of Arlington, Texas. This is our first year grinding it out, and baby, it's been a beautiful journey. I'm a mommy of two spicy kids, Davey and Jameson, and an educator. And I started my company as a way to be self-sufficient and control my own narrative on my value. After working several years in a corporate environment being, you know, undervalued. My latest collection is called The Dopest Around, saluting all dope-ass folks. We just released The Dopest Mommy Around Dad Hats and they are fire. You hear me? Fire. It's available in several colors. Follow us on IG at He Hates My Tees. And visit our website, hehatesmytees.com. And that's tees, T-E-E-S. Use code COZY15 for 15% off your purchase. Love ya, be dope, stay dope, and I'll see you around. This is Cozy Womb Podcast. This is season eight, episode 10. And uh, this episode, I wanted to focus on women who are pregnant to get ready to get in the process of delivering that baby. And the focus is getting mom and baby through the process and have them through the process. So uh, this episode is titled 10 Steps to Ensure Mamas Have a Safe Delivery with Anya Dula. Um, I've had her on here before um, speaking about um, why she became a doula and what that process is and what brought her to the revelation that the hospital was not it. And so um, I think she's a perfect person to talk about maternal uh, mortality and what goes on with women, you know, dying behind giving birth or after birth from complications. Black women are two to six um, more times likely to die from complications in childbirth. The states with the highest mortality rates through childbirth is Louisiana, Georgia, 
Indiana, Arkansas, and New Jersey. And if you Google women dying from childbirth, you'll see dates as far as back to 2005, 2017, 2019, and it keeps happening. And I, I think she's a perfect person to speak on what steps we can do to help prevent those numbers from growing. So welcome, Anya Dula. Hey, hey. <laughs> How She's are you? In. I'm great. How are you? Doing good, doing good. So, this this issue, this, this, this mom. Yeah, like we're still here, right? <laughs> Why? Why are we here? <laughs> oh, man. Why are we here and when will it get better? And that's what I really appreciate about the the show that you're having, um, you know, doing this episode because what I can't stress to people more than anything else is that when we're asking systems to change, it takes them time. It should not, in my own personal opinion. <laughs> It shouldn't take as much time as it is taking, but there's still so much that we can do to empower ourselves and to empower each other to take those matters into our own hands and make our own outcomes better. Right. And even like, even if it takes them quote unquote time, it's kind of like, what's your deadline? Like, what's your deadline to getting this right? And why is it? so many multiple states in the United States that have this issue when there are other countries who have babies every day and the mom and the child is healthy and they have less resources than we do. So what is it? Absolutely. What's your deadline? And also, where's the accountability? Because the accountability is what's going to get us to that deadline a lot faster. Yeah, those are the questions we have to continue to um, hold them to, you know, hold medical establishments to and to that industry as a whole. Right. Um, I, w- what I want to know through the 10 steps that you go over is, you know, what can be prevented and how. And um, because you've worked in the hospital and now you're a doula and your mind frame is completely out of the western medicine um what i wouldn't say completely it's not completely we just like it's it's reversed yeah um well you have more understanding as to there's a better way to do it and i know there's a better way absolutely and um being that you've worked on both sides, um, I want to know from your from your point of view, what is it that the healthcare providers are not doing, and why do you feel like they're not concerned? Um, and within these steps, I want to know what women and fathers can do for a safe delivery, because even now with COVID, it's very scary to go to a hospital and deliver because they're not allowing certain people in the room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. There's certainly um, more isolation that's happening now um, during COVID because 
of the need to reduce how much traffic or you know how much how many people enter the hospital space mm -hmm. unnecessarily and who may pose a threat um but you know in the need to do that women whether they're you know if they're with a partner even with their even when they're only with their partner it's still an isolated feeling to not have anybody else there um, on their side. And so that's why I strongly pushed now for people to be open to considering um, virtual doula services, which doulas have had to turn to in order to stay, you know, we, we haven't had a choice. It's what we need to do. Um, to help families and to keep ourselves afloat right <laughs> yeah. but there are some people that feel like well if the doula can't come to the hospital for me then what good and the good is in that look i'm a, i'm already getting into <laughs> the countdown but the good is in that you get all of that information that education that you need to have prior to even going into labor, um, you get your partner gets the information and extra support so that they know how to support you when you go into. My point being that there's so much work that doulas do that comes, that's critical work that comes before just being in the hospital with you. Like that's the smallest part of our job, yeah. <laughs> you know, is actually attending the birth. The biggest part is getting you getting you know families the information that they need to be empowered so that when they do walk into that hospital space they already know you know they already know <laughs> yeah like even without you they know what to look for they know what to ask that women who are pregnant know understand their bodies in a in a way where they know they're not okay and i think exactly a lot of women don't know oh i'm sorry yeah, a lot of women don't know. Yeah, that's what I tell my clients all the time. I tell them, by the time you go into labor, like they should be able to walk into a hospital and feel completely confident in what they know, the knowledge they have behind them. And if I didn't show up, they should be okay. And then I have to let them know, I'm showing up. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. I'm gonna show up, but that's how that's how important that work is prior to going into labor and so i just want people to think about that as they're having those conversations or those thoughts about whether it's even useful to hire a doula at this time i think it's far more critical at this time <laughs> more than even before because you're truly in that hospital room alone and without anybody else to bounce things off of. So if you at least have a doula on video chat with you or that's available to you by phone at any point so that they can answer questions or help you create that pause that you need to process the information that's coming to you, like that is where, that's where we are. Because the other thing we have to remember is that black and brown women are even more you know, like we're getting hit by both COVID really hard and we still have this maternal health crisis that's affecting Black women more than anybody else. So, you know, we really need to be paying attention to this to this group. Yeah.
And um, one of my friends that recently had her son, she had a midwife and she had to choose. Is my midwife gonna come with me in the room or is my child's father gonna come with me in the room? And she chose her child's father. And Mm. this is what struck me is he went to the car to get his charger for his phone. Mm-hmm. And she got to a point where she thought she wanted to do natural. She got to a point where the contractors came and she said no. And she mm-hmm. wanted the epidural and she wasn't expecting the person to come give her the epidural so fast. And she couldn't wait for him to be in the room. Just in uh-huh. case. She let them go ahead and give her the epidural without him in the room. And he came back and he was like, you let, you, you want, you let them do it without me? She was like, I had to. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's that. It's like, you with women, you don't know how fast something's going to happen, what's going to happen. Yeah. You just have to be prepared. So it's, it's, it's very important to be prepared so you don't have to leave the room for certain things when, when you're in labor. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Things change in a blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. So what are these mm-hmm. 10 steps? Because we need it. <laughs> All right. So, yes, 10 steps to help you plan, um, not just help you plan, but like, yeah, help you plan and help you prevent problems, right? Um, as much as is in your control with the understanding that there's not much <laughs> yeah. in pregnancy and birth that is in our control. But with these um, with these 10 steps, these 10 things to do, I think this is how we empower women and families to have as much control over what they can as possible. Um, so the first step is to if it's possible and i realize this is not a luxury that everyone has and that for a lot of people this is not the case but to if you have the luxury of planning your pregnancy ahead of time then plan your pregnancy ahead of time if you don't have the luxury of planning your pregnancy at least if you're in your childbearing age and your thought is that at some point in the next year or two or three (laughs) that you're planning to become pregnant um, or that you may think about getting pregnant then you should go ahead and start making like just get yourself in that mindset and start thinking about the things that you need to do that are going to prepare you for pregnancy and when I say things to do to prepare you for pregnancy I mean things like deciding what type of birth it is that you want to have. Do you want to have a hospital birth? Do you prefer to have um, a birth center birth or a home birth? You know, thinking about those things so you can plan for um, what that's going to look like, how you're going to pay for that, how, you know, all, everything that entails that. And then also just thinking about, you know, your own physical health your mental health, your emotional health, like getting all of, you know, just kind of getting your life together, (laughs) Mm. you know, getting your life together so that you, you are, you feel at your optimal best to move forward. Yeah. And at the beginning, um, some, for some people, it could get frustrating no matter what type of insurance you have. You can have the quote unquote 
good insurance and the hospitals will tell you, okay, this is what your insurance is paying. This is what you have to pay out of pocket. And I know for fathers, their eyes are like bulging out their heads like, oh my God, how am I going to come up with this money before you deliver? And it's kind of like, you pay as much as you can pay out of pocket. But right. once you once you have that baby, you will be surprised as to what that insurance company finds to cover. <laughs> because we had like I think leftover bill of like nine hundred and something that we would quote unquote had to pay out of pocket. And I think mm-hmm. um, before my labor, we paid up to like I want to say four something. And he was like, I don't like I don't have it right now to pay for the rest. Are they going to not? let you stay in the room I said no they're going to let me stay in the room after everything was said and done voila that bill disappeared how because the insurance covered it so they try to get you to pay as much on your end up front so they don't have to but they have it to cover it so don't even stress yourself about these quote-unquote hospital bills while you have insurance that's supposed to cover your childbirth because they find the money right Right. But I will say, if you are a person that's thinking about having an out-of-hospital birth, whether that's at a birth center or a, mm-hmm. um, or a home birth, you may have to, you likely will have to start putting money aside or whatever it is you need to do to build that up. Because a lot of insurance companies either don't cover that service at all or they cover very minimal of that service and so if you know that you're the type of person like if you already in your mind you see yourself having a tub birth in your own bathroom and (laughs) your candles and your midwife and your doula and you know whatever if you know that that's your birth scenario start putting that away now start doing what you need to do so that you don't have to compromise you know what you want your birth experience to be or even like your your mental space nobody wants to have the mental space of worrying about bills when you're bringing about life Um, there you go that's very stressful um both of my kids i had in the hospital i never had a midwife i never had a doula but i will say that my mom was there for both of my kid's birth and I will say she was both and um with my pregnancy she was there the whole time so she told me what to look for she told me um what to prepare for and I I didn't feel lost in the sauce I felt um there you guided. Go. I felt guided so there you go exactly Number two, I would say, is establishing early prenatal care. You know, we know just in general, across the board for everyone, we know that the earlier that prenatal care is established, the more healthy um, the woman is, the more healthy the baby is, the better health outcomes there are um, for both. What I will say is that does not have to be with the doctor. You know, we talked about in in point one, deciding who your primary care provider is going to be. So if it's something that you've already thought about beforehand, then you already know who to look for. But um, whether it's with a doctor or whether it's with a midwife, establishing early prenatal care is important. That's where you're going to talk about 
and I should have said this in the in, in the preparing for pregnancy part too, but that's where you're going to talk about your health history, your own health history, and then you're going to talk about your family health history so that things that might come up such as um, congenital diseases or genetic diseases that are passed down, you start to understand what the chances are for your pregnancy that's go- that it'll be normal or if there are chances for um you know, health conditions for you or the baby, that those things can be addressed as early as possible so that they don't turn into complications at some point in the pregnancy. So that's the second most important thing. Um, When I was having my second child, um, the hospital gave me, I went on the hospital tour and they gave me my pre-labor plan. And in that, you get to say if you want to keep your placenta, this is a form if you want to keep your placenta. Um, it, it asks you, um, are you for or against blood transfusions? Because some people religiously are against that. That's where you state those things because it, it's very hard to be within labor and going back and forth with nurses and doctors about what you don't want because we saw the video um, we saw the video of the lady being forced to take some type of medicine that she did not want in labor and they called the police and had them in the room Mm -hmm. so we have to um, state what our wants are up front if we can and that's the other thing that is important to do during this time when you establish early prenatal care I talk about this um I talked about it on my podcast um, where, you know, I want to start a whole medical movement because I'm just like, all right, what's the hold up? Where, why is it? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. um, I did a three part series called Let the Medical Movement Begin. Mm -hmm. And what one of the things that I talked about is you establishing the tone at the beginning of your pregnancy and at the beginning of your relationship with your medical providers. And this is whether it's a doctor or a midwife, because just because you go to a midwife doesn't mean it's 100% safe either. You know, we have to be, we have to be looking out for ourselves. And so um, I think it's important to set that tone. And so that's also part of setting the tone. When you walk in and you have your list of questions and you are letting this doctor know what your history is and what your plans are for your birth or letting your midwife know, there's a level of respect that that brings to you because they are saying, and it shouldn't, let me say this, it shouldn't have to be this way, but this is what it is. When they, when you walk in with information and they know that you're a person who's paying attention and who is, you know, well-read enough on pregnancy, well-read enough on your own health history, they are more apt to be on top of things because you sound like a person who's going to be on top of them. (laughs) Like this patient looks like she knows her legalese, uh, vocabulary um we don't want no lawsuits you ring that bell we are in here what do you need yes (laughs) you know like that's also that also comes in hand with establishing prenatal care early is that they know okay this is somebody who's on top of things we need to be on top of things because she came in here with her questions (laughs) um 
So yeah, so that's the second thing. And these are not necessarily in, I meant to say this at the beginning, these are not necessarily in order of importance. I'm thinking uh, when I created this list, it's more in a chronological order, if you will, for how um, you should be taking care of these things. So anyway, the third point is to make adjustments to your diet and your exercise and what um, I call and a lot of people refer to as body work. And so in that aspect, you know, just thinking about and having this conversation with your doctor, but it doesn't only have to be with the doctor. This is a really good place to start thinking about consulting other types of specialists. They don't always have to be part of the contemporary medical system. They can be alternative medical providers, holistic health providers, but doing what you feel you need to do Um, making whatever changes or adjustments or improvements to your diet and your physical health, your physical body, in order to create an optimal environment for nurturing this brand new life that you are bringing into the world and also giving your body its optimal, um, what do I want to say? so that your body can perform at its optimal performance when it's time for you to go into labor. And so those are things you want to think about early in your pregnancy. This is not talking about diet in the form of, I, you know, we're not talking about snap back quick. <laughs> we're not talking about, you know, trying to be the flyest mama, whatever. I mean, that's all good too. We want you to look good and feel good. But this is more thinking about the nurturing and, you know, the optimal health that you want your baby to be in and the performance level that you want to have at the end of your pregnancy. You want to feel good when you're going into labor. You want to know that your body, that you've done everything to help your body facilitate this big event that's going to take place. So start doing that now. Some of those um, alternative specialists that I think are really good to um, establish relationships with, even prior to your pregnancy, but definitely during pregnancy, a chiropractor, you want to get in touch with them. Um, You want to be in touch with some type of nutritionist. And it doesn't have to be, like I said, it doesn't have to be a nutritionist in the sense of the medical establishment, but somebody who can help you stick to your diet needs, you know, and especially if you have any type of health problems, you want to talk about those things with, um, along with your regular doctor. But know that those other health specialists are out there. Um, The fourth thing is hire a doula. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Hire a doula, hire a doula, hire a doula. So um, I'll try not to get on my big soapbox. I'll try to stay on my little soapbox. But like I was saying earlier, you're hiring a doula. This is what I want people to understand about hiring a doula. Like I said earlier, our job is not solely to come in there when you're in labor and be your professional back rubber. 
we will do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we do do that. But that is the smallest part of what a doula does. When you hire a doula, you're hiring a person who is one, going to be the only person, especially if you're having a birth at a hospital, okay? That's the only person in the room who can have your 100% interest in mind and act in that way. Your doctors and nurses and the other hospital professionals, they're number one, like they have to protect themselves, their licenses, and then they have to protect that establishment. You come like number four, five, six on the list of people. You know what I mean? So you have a doula there to be that person that's thinking 100% about you in your corner. You also have that doula there to help guide you. But that guidance starts as soon as you hire them. So you can either have that doula and you know, doula prices are what uh, I know anyway here in Texas, um, anywhere from about $800 to upwards of like $1,500 packages. Okay. Mm-hmm. Why would you pay $1,500 at 32 weeks <laughs> when that same $1,500 could have gotten you so much more guidance mm-hmm. way from the beginning of your pregnancy? right? Like you have to think about you're hiring a doula as a consultant. Your doula is your own personal consultant for managing yourself through this pregnancy. And it doesn't only have to do with childbirth. It's everything from helping you establish your village, helping you establish, we're going to talk some of these other things later, um, later numbers in the list, but helping you establish your postpartum plan, helping you have the conversation with your healthcare team so that your needs and concerns are addressed, right? Like that's what your doula is there to do. Your doula is also there to be after birth, to help, um, help you find resources that you need if complications arise, to be a person another set of trained eyes and ears in case some a complication arises and you may not even be aware that that's what's happening. Or, so you're, you're, or to be the person that's knowledgeable about you and that baby without ego, emotions, and, and a personal need. Because there you go. a father can have ego about, you know, why she not picking the name I wanted. I'll, Sir, this is not about you. And then, and then, a doctor can have an ego on. I gave, I, I helped four hundred women give birth. Don't tell me nothing. You can't be feeling this pain, and that's an issue. And then you there have a doula that's in there that's like, I talked to her. We already went over what her pain is from a one to ten. She tells me it's a seven. It's a seven. Be, yes, being your advocate. And that's the other thing, helping you, helping you enforce the things that you already said. Because yeah, you have that conversation in your pregnancy with your doctor and they'll say, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. But then when you're in labor, you know, they might switch up or they may mm-hmm. forget. I'll just say they may forget. Or Maybe what happened to me <laughs> when it was time for me to give labor, my doctor wasn't available. So I got a brand new doctor there when you I was go. supposed to give labor. Exactly. Oh, and, you know, another really good example is what we saw. Um, and I know this hit. I felt so bad because 
so many birth workers were commenting on Sierra's video mm-hmm. that she posted right after she had her new baby win. Oh, he's so handsome. But, um, you know, immediately after she gave birth, she has the baby on her chest and this person, and I, at first I thought it was her husband, but apparently mm-hmm. other people were like, no, 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 it was definitely the doctor. Mm-hmm. But they asked, they, they didn't ask of her, they demanded that she sing. He said, okay, now she's going to sing for us. And she said, no, why are you going to put it on me? And oh, he said, no. go on. Yes, he said, go on, sing, go. And this then is she that entertainment singing. for you? And so I was like, I really hope that there was not a doula in the room. <laughs> because the doula at that moment should have stepped in and been like, she's not going to sing. She's going to enjoy these first moments with her brand new baby. And then after she sang the song, she had to, she asked the people, is he okay? I haven't even seen his face yet. So it's like, mm-hmm. you want her to put on a concert for you. Let, let me tell you, Anya, when I had Anya, when I had my first, <laughs> them doctors and them nurses was in my crotch with my legs up, talking about a wedding that they were going See? to in the next week. Ma'am. And I Ma'am. felt like, first of all, y'all took away my drugs that I felt really good on to push out this baby that I don't even know what it looks like. And y'all talking about what type of cake and what type of um, side um, wine they're gonna have at this wedding, as if I'm not about to deliver the biggest package of my life. Ma'am. It was crazy. That's, see, that's what I'm talking about. And that's what people don't understand, like even just having a doula in the room, if that doula never says anything, there are times when I am in, uh, you know, like I'm supporting my clients and just my being there, I don't even have to speak, speaks volumes and it curbs behavior like that. People having inappropriate conversations, people trying to push mothers into making decisions that they're not ready to make or um, just doing, you know, like obstetric violence, performing things without asking for consent. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, that's point four. Hire a doula. I said I was gonna stay on my little, my little <laughs> soapbox and not get on the big one. And also, before we go on to the next one, when I was having Anya, um, they had to induce me, and so I went in there mm-hmm. and I felt fine. I didn't feel any contractions, nothing. Um, my water didn't even break. I've never felt my water break with either of my children. So when I went in there. I was using the bathroom like normal attached to the IV. No problem. My mom uh-huh. didn't have to help me. And then they came in there and they gave me a catheter. But I guess she did it when I was, um, after she had gave me the medicine to make me tired. And mm-hmm. she didn't, the nurse didn't tell me, you cannot get up and go to the bathroom. She just said, she said to me, if you need anything, just ring and I'll come. Girl, uh, you can't help. You can't pee for me. So that's not me needing you to pee. So I uh-huh. got up. I got up and I went to pee because I felt it. I felt the urge to pee. 
And when you feel the urge to pee, you don't stop. And when I went, I had blood dripping from the bathroom to the bed. And she was, and she came in there. She was like, "Why did you?" She was yelling at me. She's like, "Why did you get up?" I said, "I didn't know. You didn't tell me you can't get up to go pee." This is my first. Uh-huh. This is my first child. I didn't know, so it's kind of like, let's say I had a doula in there. She would be like, "Okay, yeah. you're gonna pee through here." Like, there's so right. many loopholes in the process of having a child that nurses automatically feel like you should know. Right. And exactly. you don't know because it's your first baby. So, super important. Yep. Good point. Good point. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Number five is to create and discuss your birth preferences with your birth team. So, your birth team includes more people than just whoever the provider is that's going to catch your baby. Um, you're going to, if you've done number four and hired the doula like I told you to do, your doula's going to help you establish what those birth preferences are. That's the first person to hear you out on your birth mm-hmm. preferences, to hear you and affirm your birth preferences and let you know that we're going to do you know, our best to make that happen for you and to inform you along the way. Yeah, and even the first person that's going to be most educated about your options. There you go. The doula might have an option for you that you never knew you had. There you go. There you go. Um, So, yes. And then the doula is also going to help you have that conversation with your medical provider Mm -hmm. in a way (laughs) in a way that ensures that your needs and wants are heard, respected, and addressed. Mm -hmm. That is probably the most important part, (laughs) I think, of what our job is as doulas, because that is where you find out, and this is why I think this needs to be earlier, you know, this needs to be around 20 weeks or so of pregnancy. This conversation needs to happen this early because you need to know that everybody on your team is on board with what your plan is. You need to know that if your goal is to have a completely medical, medicine-free birth, that everybody else on that team is working to make that happen for you. If your goal is, I want the epidural as soon as I know I can have the epidural, you need everybody on that team (laughs) to understand, right? You don't need anybody fighting you, trying to tell you that you should be able to do this X, Y, and Z. So anyway, my point is have that conversation early so that if there needs to be middle ground found, it gets found early enough. Or if there is not middle ground to be found between whoever it is, your doctor, your midwife, your birth partner, (laughs) your doula even, like if there's not middle ground to be found, that means that those people are not the people to be on your birth team. You've got to figure that out as early as possible so that you can make the changes that you need to make if there are any changes to be made. You don't want to find out, you know, let's say that you're trying to have a a VBAC, a vaginal birth after cesarean. You don't want to find out at 
36 weeks that your doctor is not on board with this at all because you it's so hard to change to another doctor that sick of being upsold at gyms my guy you're currently a base member for 90 dollars more i can upgrade you to our shred membership for 130 more you'll be a swole member and for just 300 more you'll reach sweat platinum at planet fitness you'll get energy without the upsell never pushy always free fitness training and equipment for every workout it's fitness that fits your budget Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. In your pregnancy, healthy or not, they don't want to take on that liability because it looks, it's like, what's going on here, you know? So, or you don't want to be in a position where now you're being pushed to do something that you never saw happening. So it's just really important to have that conversation very early in your pregnancy so that you see where everybody is. Um, also, I want to just put this, I, I need to always make sure I say these things when I talk. This is not, <laughs> none of this is medical advice. <laughs> and I am not in any way, shape or form advocating that you go against your doctor's advice. What I am saying is that you can have your birth preferences and your birth wishes and you should have all of those things addressed. You also, you know, we have midwives and we have doctors because they have an expertise in childbirth and the health, right, around surrounding pregnancy and childbirth. And so there are going to be sometimes medical reasons that prevent you from having the exact birth that you want. But again, that's where a doula comes in handy to let you know. Preeclampsia. Like, <laughs> this is truly like, yes, you know, that's why that doula has that evidence-based information to help you understand what are the things what are the things that you need to pay attention to and that are going to keep you the safest, um, but still also keep your needs centered in the conversation? Yeah. Yup. Um, the next one, six is take a childbirth education and a breastfeeding education class. So as those of us who have been pregnant and those of us who have worked, especially if we're talking about, um, you know, working in hospital and clinical settings, you know that you're not getting a great deal of childbirth education from your doctor's appointments. You're just not. You're getting, they're checking your health. You're giving them information to let them know that you are healthy or not healthy when you go mm -hmm. to those appointments. They're not teaching you breathing techniques. They're not teaching you um, positions that you can get into that's gonna make you feel better when you're in labor, right? Or that's gonna help your cervix open up. That's not what your prenatal appointments are for. Therefore, you need to seek actual childbirth education classes that will help you prepare for childbirth and labor and, and help also, you understand what that process is yeah and also as a mother or soon-to-be mom your whole pregnancy is about is about being being proactive 
because if I wasn't at the doctor and I was at home, I was on YouTube. And I was on, <laughs> I was on YouTube listening to moms talk about their process at each month and what to look for and what popped up that they didn't know and what their birth experiences was. So I can know what my options are. So I can know yes. how far left this labor can go. So I can see yes. the ugly part of what this pregnancy could possibly be. So when I went into that room, I wasn't, you know, clueless. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So that you have some idea of what this is. So did you have an idea of what the time frame is? You know, people, some people really walk into the hospital thinking they just gonna walk in, have a baby and walk back out. And it's, oh, no, <laughs> no ma'am. Your first stage of labor can be anywhere from six to 12 hours. Listen. Like, and there's no way for anybody to know how long it's gonna go. So you just, you know, so you want to educate yourself. You want to have an understanding of the process. Another thing I wanna point out here is that the childbirth education that you get in the hospital setting, while the actual information, right? The biological, physical information that you get, the didactic education that you receive from that class is going to be the same. I strongly consider you get your education outside of a hospital setting. The reason being, so for instance, I am a child, I'm a child, um, I teach childbirth education and I offer that as a service. I use the same educational materials that the hospital uses. The difference is the hospital is going to teach you how to come in there and be a really good patient for them <laughs> through that childbirth education information. When I teach that class, I'm teaching people what, at what points they have decisions to make and I give them their options so they can start to consider those things at an earlier time. So that if they are faced with that decision during childbirth, they already have this information. They don't have to stop, process, learn, ask questions, right? And try to figure out the best decision when they're in a vulnerable state, when they're in pain, when they're probably nervous because they've never gone to labor before. So you just want to think about that when we talk about childbirth education, consider your source. And then also, um, like I offer a breastfeeding education class with my, with my packages because I think it's really important for moms to have a, a more realistic idea of what breastfeeding is right after you give birth. You know, you have... Um, you have families, you have parents that think that it's just going to be super easy to pop the baby on <laughs> to their breast and then she's going to have this beautiful glowy moment of nursing 10 minutes after the baby's born. It well, never looks like that. Let me that. say this. <laughs> With the amount of boob that the Lord gave me, I thought I would be doing a sin if I didn't try <laughs> breastfeeding. Because I said, okay, you gave me these big boobs. And um, you gave me these nipples that were, I, I guess they were made for sucking because they're very obvious. 
Uh-huh. I, said, I said, I'm going to, I'm going to try this breastfeeding, and if it doesn't work, then I'll do um, formula. Uh huh. Anya, I kid you not. Your mini me, Anya. <laughs> I had her. Um, I had her around like I want to say seven that night, and they switched up my room. My mom made sure that she didn't leave her site. She was pushing her in the little um, carrier thing that they have for the baby. And uh-huh. we got into the second room. And my mom gave me her and she was like, put her on your boob. I was like, the nurse didn't come in here and tell me to put her. She was like, do it. I put Anya on my chest and she bobbed her head to my nipple. Uh-huh. She found my boob uh-huh. herself. And I have it on video with her doing it. And I'm just like, okay, so this is this is not gonna be a problem. And <laughs> and it wasn't it wasn't a problem. And then I had Aria and I I latched her at the hospital, no problem. Um got home and then my foot swelled up. Oh, my no. my feet got so fat to the point where I would walk and it'll feel squishy like I'm stepping on something squishy. So I called uh-huh. my doctor and my doctor was like, it's fine. It's your body retaining the water in your body. And then it's going to disperse up to your breast where you're supposed to make the breast milk. And that's mm-hmm. what happened. But when I tell you these feet look like galoshes I was like oh my god <laughs> but yeah it is a process and it, it, it's very um, it's very strange to be in your body and not know what your body's doing exactly exactly <laughs> and it can be you know it can be it all just feels weird you've never done it before the baby's never done it before <laughs> like both of you are trying to figure out and so anyway I just I like to offer that as a service um, because I want I want my clients to go into labor feeling completely confident, right? Mm-hmm. And then when they understand that, you know, the baby's not going to, like, you don't have to worry about the baby starving because the baby doesn't have that big of a stomach. Like, they don't need, mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't come out needing a full bottle of milk. Those are the things that we need them to understand. I know that um, the breastfeeding class that I offer is by this lactation consultant here in Houston. And every one of my clients who has taken her class, when they leave her class, they feel like, okay, I got this. I know what I'm doing. And then a few of them, even when they had some hiccups after the baby was born and you know they got home and things got a little bit um, hard, they were able to use the information that they took from her class to work themselves through it. So it even saves them money (laughs) in the long run, right? They didn't have to call the lactation consultant out to have the consult and have to pay that money or bother with insurance and all that other stuff that goes through it. They already had the information. They knew what to do, blah, blah, blah. So I think that that's why those are um, two really important classes to take in terms of um, just preventing, you know, again, 
it's not that you can prevent the issues, but when you're well-versed and you have that knowledge of when things are going wrong or might be wrong, mm-hmm. you can help yourself. Like you can help yourself prevent any really big issues. You can get yourself the help early so that you can be helped or your baby can be helped um, early enough to where you're not being stressed out about it. Yeah, because panic and new babies don't blend because they, they feel it. They feel it, they <laughs> sense it, they get more irritated that you don't know what you're doing and they know when you don't know what you're doing. And <laughs> you're, that that baby needing bright water can turn into a night where nobody getting any sleep and uh, it's it's one of those things where the benefits of having a doula could be a lifetime of knowledge that you can share with a friend that you can share with yourself when you're on your second child or your third child because you remember your experience with that doula exactly it's not like you're going to have the information evaporate it's your experience so you're going to (laughs) remember the steps in going through this labor and they say quote-unquote that the second one is is easier or gets better (laughs) don't (laughs) listen every child is different every labor is different Everyone is so different and yes. yeah, you can't, you cannot even compare births or children from the same mother. You just cannot. It's Listen, no. I, I thought my second kid was a recall. I said, uh-uh. I said, there's something wrong with her. Cause, cause she's, she's not nothing like Anya. Anya was easy. You didn't even know Anya was in the house when I had a newborn. Aria, she just had to let everybody know she was home. I'm just like, oh my goodness. <laughs> that's kind of the difference between my two my oldest was the easiest baby he just Ugh. everything happened one two three easy peasy my second baby oh my goodness he was so clingy he was yes. cried he didn't want nobody but his mama that's Ari that's Ari <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. um, number seven is getting all of your maternity leave and insurance matters in order. Mm. I usually say that this needs to be, you know, you need to start your maternity leave process, all that stuff around 20 weeks pregnant, but um, like 30 weeks to you having the baby, like you really need to be working to make sure those things are in order. And the reason that this is really important in this conversation about preventing um, problems and keeping mom as safe and healthy as possible is because the last thing you want to find out late in pregnancy is that your insurance isn't gonna cover something or that you have a much bigger deductible owed or something (laughs) than you did before. And now you've gotta, you know, have your baby and have these another big mounting problem on top of you. Um, A lot of times too, same thing with your maternity leave. You wanna make sure that you start that paperwork early enough in the process so that by the time you do go on maternity leave, and you know we never know when babies are coming babies come when they come so you might not have the full 40 weeks you know so you want to start that process early enough so that 
when you go on maternity leave, you know that your paperwork is handled. You know that that paycheck is coming. That's the biggest <laughs> pointer. It is not, you know, postpartum period is hard enough. We call it the fourth trimester for a reason because it is an extension of the pregnancy. And for a lot of people, what they come to find out is that that is actually the part they should have been planning the most for is that postpartum period and what you don't want to do is be at home trying to recover your body trying to recover mentally and emotionally trying to bond with this baby establishing a new order in your household it will feel like your world is flipped upside down and then to find out that you're not going to get a paycheck because your paperwork got held up somewhere or to or to like get home and maybe you are going through postpartum depression and then to have to find out that you know the money that you were expecting to come to have that sitting on top of you is even more reason to spin you into a situation that can become um an emergency you know so you want to make sure that out every step of the way when you file that paperwork you want to make sure you have the person's name that you dropped it off with that they, the you claim know number contact person <laughs> yes write down you your key number name um, keep everything in a folder or if you know whatever whatever you do to keep your files together but you keep everything in a place so that you can make sure um that that's done also you don't want to be in the hospital and like be in some sort of emergency situation and then find out that you're like What's one of the biggest things that can happen, um, and you even said this, I think you said this before, is like knowing that your baby has to go to a NICU or finding out that your baby has to go yeah. to a NICU and then finding out that your insurance doesn't actually cover, you know, the care yeah. that your child needs. Like those are all very real scenarios that happen that a lot of times people don't even think about ahead of time. And so again, that's the type of information you want to make sure. So you want to call that insurance company. Don't just sit with what the people in the doctor's office tell you, because what the doctor's office tells you are the fees for that doctor. Mm -hmm. It has nothing to do with what the hospital I, is planning saw, to charge you. I saw a billing for a labor where they charged, I think $300 for um, skin to skin. With the I saw that mess too. You see what I'm talking about? Charge for someone putting their own baby on their chest. <sighs> like, how is that a charge? And also, mother's care after having a baby is not, oh, she had the baby, we released the baby to her, we took off the baby's probation bracelet. Um, it, <laughs> it, it's also when you go home and your body is reacting to the epidural still. Mm -hmm. Because I had a reaction to the epidural on the fourth day after my child, my childbirth, not the third. They kept me for three days and they sent me home the end of the third day. And then that fourth mm -hmm. day, my whole left leg swelled up. Mm -hmm. I, it was heavy and I couldn't lift it. And my doctor, I called my doctor and he said, 
you know, I want you to come in so we can do an x-ray and check it to make sure it's not a blood clot because that does uh-huh. happen. And so a lot of women think, okay, I, I have the baby, I'm home, it's done. It's not done. You need to be watching your body. You need to be feeling if something feels weird because your body just went through this whole transition, especially if, exactly. you've, been, if, if you've been induced. They're putting drugs in you. You don't know how your body is going to react. So um, it's, it's, it's super important to pay attention to your body after a pregnancy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, you just want to make sure you have all that stuff in order so you don't have any surprises, any hiccups, nothing that's going to cause you to be stressed out any more than what just comes postpartum. Speaking of postpartum, the next number eight is establishing a postpartum plan. So again, this is where your doula comes in handy because like I said, people, you know, they're doing all this preparation for the pregnancy. They're doing all this preparation for labor. They're thinking about how am I going to get through the pain and nobody's thinking about when they come home with this brand new baby. and what that's going to look like. Your postpartum plan is establishing the new roles that you're going to have to transition into when you bring a new baby home. Postpartum planning is deciding how do you still care for yourself, mom and dad, when you've got a brand new baby in the house and everybody needs to be hands-on. How do you still get your exercise in? How does mom still find time to get her nails done? How, who's cooking? <laughs> if everybody's who's taking cleaning? care of the Who's bending? Because after you have a baby, I'm sorry, but everything below my waist felt broken. You don't want to be Hello? You don't want to be stretching. Hello? Who's taking care of the other children if there are other children? Who's yes. taking care of pets if there are pets to be taken care of? Those are the types of things you need to start planning for ahead of time. And, and the biggest thing that I want to stress here is that it's, it's as much mentally, it's as much planning your mental and your emotional health for postpartum as it is like just planning tasks and who's going to complete tasks. Because when your life makes that type of transition, you need to like you need to have some footing you need to feel grounded you need to feel guided into that transition otherwise your life just feels flipped (laughs) and then you're kind of grasping at straws trying to make things happen and hoping for the best where if you have a plan ahead of time right then you're working together as a team you have a goal you have a blueprint, you have an outline, and you're gonna find that, oh, like, oh, we thought that schedule was gonna work, toss that out the window, but at least you're thinking about it, you know? And at least you can start to plan, and if you need to redraw at some point, that's fine, but the plan is what's most important. Yeah, I remember, so that you, um, sorry. I remember uh, having Aria, my second child, and Anya was three. And I remember feeling guilty because I was spending so much time with the new baby and Anya is new for her. She's not really around other kids and I can only see her for X amount of hours during the day. 
we we can't go to the park. We can't, you know, play games. We can't go outside a lot because I have this new baby. And I would have Arya's dad come by the house for like a couple of hours and me and Anya would go out and spend time. But just it's having that bad. guilt on top of feeling like postpartum is is it's depressing. Yes. Yes, exactly. Sometimes people don't know. You know, I've had couples that they expressed to me because they weren't aware. And now it helps me as a doula be even more prepared. But, you know, they're feeling guilty because they're wishing they had their old life back. (laughs) They're like, we love our baby. You know, our baby's beautiful and we're so happy. But this is hard and I kind of want to go backwards to be able to express that and know that those feelings are probably going to come you know um it just you want to give yourself as much a heads up as possible so it's really important to get that get a postpartum plan um established and then the next one number nine is establishing a postpartum depression plan So (laughs) that postpartum plan, as I said, that's helping you plan what your new life is going to look like and what adjustments you can make to make that transition easiest for you. But establishing a postpartum depression plan is part of your postpartum plan, but it is separate. What you're doing with the postpartum depression plan is you're preparing yourself for just in case you have your this is something you experience you may not know no one you know like no one really knows if it's going to be them if that's something that they're going to go through you might be more predisposed if you already deal with like depression or anxiety or other mental health um other mental health disorders or issues then you might already be a step ahead if you're already taking care of that But if not, if you just have no clue, you want to have at least some sort of plan in place. I usually tell my clients, the first place is to ask your doctor's office. Like, who would you refer me to if I were to go in, if I did have postpartum depression? Get that list early and and make contact. You don't have to make appointments, but just call those offices and say, what does your wait list look like? If I were to have this issue, how easy would it be for me to get an appointment? Then at least you know, right? At least you know you have names and numbers to put on the refrigerator so that if you find yourself in that moment, then you can ha- you have numbers to call. You have places to go to. Um, I always tell my clients too, like to consider if it is like you said earlier if it is you know three in the morning and you find yourself spiraling and you're like i've got to get help well calling your therapist at three in the morning usually isn't Mm -hmm. you know like an option so you want a place to go hospital emergency rooms can be super scary if we're talking oh no oh no oh no no Sorry, no, a phone call came through. Um, 
But I was saying having that postpartum plan. Oh, because going to a hospital emergency room, if something like that happens in the middle of the night and it's an emergency, it can be really scary. I tell my clients to look at, um, I call them neighborhood mental health hospitals. (laughs) But they're usually like small little mental health hospitals. I call them neighborhood mental health hospitals because they usually do, at least in Houston, they usually sit right in the middle of a neighborhood. They're kind of obscure. No one really knows that they're there. But um, those places tend to have a much softer intake approach than a major hospital center's emergency room does. Major hospital centers, if you go into an an emergency room saying something like postpartum depression or any type of mental health, it turns into a very, um, it just feels like your typical, like one flew over the cuckoo's nest movie or something. Yeah. And then then with, with, with that, when you go to major hospitals, you don't want it to be like, let's put this in her file that you know she's exactly. having an issue with this baby and we might want to have someone come check up on this baby and it's a, it's bigger than what it is when really exactly. a lot of the time all moms new moms need is some sleep a break and and they don't have those people in the house with them and exactly that's it because I remember my mom and some ate. support yeah like taking the baby um for a night and let me get like five more hours of sleep and and like hugging her to death in the morning because that's all I needed right right yeah so that's you know that's what I mean by having a post a separate postpartum depression plan is just establishing those numbers establishing your people from your village and that's that's the last number 10 is building your village, but establishing the people from your village that you can call so that if you do find yourself going to, you know, in an emergency situation in the middle of the night, it's already, you know, we're calling mom, we're calling mother-in-law, we're calling auntie, we're calling, you know, like having those things in place so that it's fluid movement should it happen and you're not like stuck trying to figure out what to do next. And then the last thing, like I said, number 10 is just building your village, like figuring out who your solid rock people are, the people that you can trust to give you good information about pregnancy and childbirth, not people who are going to be trying to scare you, not people who are going to be sending you all the bad news, keeping you up at night, (laughs) worried, like you want to have it balanced out. You want to have people that you know that if there is an emergency with your health, who's going to show up for you? When you're making your postpartum plan, who's going to come over and help cook meals? Who's going to come over and help um, do laundry, right? Who's going to come over and keep you company um, or take you out for coffee break when you need Hello. to get away from the baby for a minute. Who's gonna come over here and make me feel like I'm, I'm a human being, I'm an individual. Let um, you take a shower and a nap. <laughs> listen, I remember taking the shower after having um, Aria. I'm just like, oh my God, hey vagina, I haven't seen you in months. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a, um, exactly. Mm. 
yeah you just want to have a group of people around you that you know are looking out for you those people who are going to know the difference between when you're okay and when you're struggling the people who are going to know to say I don't care what you say I'm coming over there because things don't sound right you know like you need a group of people around you and for some people that's going to be family for other people you're going to have to really pull together a village you're going to have to think about who are those people you might have to find people you know in places it might be co-workers it might be somebody from church it might be the neighbor that you just met last week but you find the people that you know you can rely on and keep them close yeah i think um having like outside time and sunlight helped me like relax because being inside and seeing like okay monday i'm doing this tuesday i'm doing this wednesday i'm doing this and then to sit in wednesday and know that tomorrow's gonna be the same thing oh my Uh god you talk about groundhog feels on another level I couldn't wait to go back to work. I'm just like, I'm tired of all everything. You're going to want to eat. You're going to poop. You're going to pee. I got to give you a bath. It's going to be repeat, repeat, repeat. So, um, yes. Getting out of that. That's how I felt. And, you know, I even felt some guilt around that my um, with my second baby. Because... I had planned on staying out for 12 weeks and I went back at eight weeks. (laughs) I was like, like, I can't be in this house 24 seven, you know, with the baby. And I was just like, I'm breastfeeding. And he, but anyway, my point is that, and that's what I, you know, going back to what I said earlier about, you may have your postpartum plan and you might find that you're gonna, you know, change some things based on your circumstances, based on your feelings might change from before you were pregnant to Mm -hmm. your postpartum period. But it's important for you to know that all those feelings are valid feelings. You know, at the time I felt bad that I wanted to go back to work. But now that I'm, you know, so far removed from it, because that baby's 17 now. Oh my God. (laughs) But I also, in that that decision, I was looking out for my best interest because I knew from my first pregnancy that I had a possibility of going into postpartum depression. Mm -hmm. And so for me at that time, I was like, I I already knew, you know, I had established my childcare situation already um I was healthy I got my A-OK from the doctor I got you know like everything was in place so that when I needed to make that decision for myself like I was at a point where I was in the house crying all day with that baby was, this ain't good for many you nights, honey. many <laughs> nights many nights many nights till this day she's three and she comes to my room and I'm just like Arya why are you in my bed because I want to sleep with you. I'm sleeping with you. Okay. <laughs> you can sleep with me, but why do you have to be on my chest, though? Right. Uh, listen, when you have a clingy kid, that's just what it is. Exactly. 
Exactly. So yeah, you know, I think that those are the 10 best ways. Those are the 10 best things that not only, you know, the pregnant person can do, but the people around her, her husband, her partner, um, her family members, whoever's around her, like that's a, that's a good list for everybody to have them <laughs> have themselves um, busy with in making sure that she's good in all those different ways. I love it. I love it. Um, because we need more women who feel comfortable and would feel safe during delivery and after delivery. Um, and that's just how we're going to combat our work for this, you know, healthcare issue with women that go in happy, healthy, pregnant. And it's kind of like, who do you want to come out, the baby or the mom? And it shouldn't be that. <laughs> it should be, exactly. I want both of them to come out. I want both of them to come home. Um, I'm just tired. And not that. just for them to come home. That's what I tell people all the time. This is not just about you going in and you're healthy and the baby's healthy like that drives me crazy when doctors are like we just want a healthy baby and a healthy mom well of course that's what we want mm -hmm. we're not walking in here for you to maim us like we of course we want to be healthy but also she should be heard she should be respected she should be able to express what's happening to her and be taken seriously you know she should be able to walk away from her birth experience feeling so good and confident and powerful in herself with what she was able to do that's the type of birth experiences like you know that I as a doula want for my moms and even when the outcome because the outcome is not always going to be for everybody's not going to have you know a completely medicine free vaginal delivery that's not in the cards for oh, everybody hey. but at the <laughs> end of at the end of it whatever the outcome is she needs to feel like she was in control and that she was respected and that her needs were met. Mm -hmm. That's when we're all good with it. We're not just happy at healthy mom, healthy baby. That's not yeah. enough. That's bare minimum. She shouldn't <laughs> have to argue with doctors and nurses about the pain that she's feeling. And, and the doctor says, well, you shouldn't be feeling that much pain. Well, exactly. duh. So what are you going to do for the fact that I'm feeling it? Like, I'm just, mm -mm. it has to get better. And I hope it gets yeah. better. But thank you for sharing and that's this. How, that's how it gets better, though. And that's why I wound up, you know, that's why I tell people, people always like, why would you leave a nursing job to be a doula? And I'm like, first of all, y'all so capitalistic. But anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe it's a maybe it's about and I think it's like this for a lot of people. Some work is about how much does it pay? What is it going to do for me? And then mm -hmm. some people work is about do I feel fulfilled? Do I feel like I made like a like a stamp in my day today? Do I feel like I helped someone's life be better than it was? if I didn't get involved and, and being passionate about what you do and having integrity and in, in about what you do. And that is the line of 
work that you want to have integrity in is saving multiple lives. <laughs> and that's how I look at it. You know, I was, there are certain things that you can push when you're in any system, right? So whether it's the healthcare system, the education system, the police system, there's always those of us who are in these systems and we find ourselves um, trying to do the work, you know, like trying to do the good work, right? Like how does Olivia Pope say, wear the good, the white hat, right? We want to do the work within the system, but we, you, there's always a wall. There's always a point that you'll come against where you realize this isn't going to happen from inside. It just isn't. And so I see my job. I see this list of 10 things. I see the work that I do as a doula as changing the system by informing the consumer, because that's what you have to know at the end of the day is that healthcare is a business and you are a consumer. This is the same thing as the customer is always right. You want what you want. You walk in, you tell the people what you want. <laughs> you hold them to that. Yeah. Right? People just need to know that you can do that in healthcare situations as well. That's what we don't know. Because we see doctors as authority figures and we're conditioned to regard them as authority figures over our, our health. And without getting on a soapbox, that's just, <laughs> yeah. that's you know, yeah, like you have to, you have to come, you know, we, we all need to do our diligence in this fight right now, in this, um, in this moment where we're in a medical crisis and mm -hmm. that's just, it's where we are in this, you know, in America, period. We have to do what we have to do from our own standpoint to make sure that we walk in that hospital and we walk out of those hospitals, period. Period. Can you tell the people where to find you, Anya? Tell them where to find you. Can find me on social media as Anya Dula. Um, that's Instagram and Facebook. You can find my website, anyadula.com. And I also host the podca a podcast, Intercultured with Anya Dula. So go check that out. Like I said earlier, I have um, a, a three-part series that's been the most recent thing posted. A three-part series about how you can take care of yourself in medical situations. And... Um, yeah, just how we need to look out for ourselves and look out for our family and community members and start holding medical establishments accountable to make sure that we are good. Yes, ma'am. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. That was awesome. Yay. That was awesome. Hey, hey, it's Anya Dula, and I am the host of Intercultured with Anya Dula. Intercultured with Anya Dula is a podcast that focuses on motherhood, culture, birth work, and travel. And it's just a place for women to come together to discuss 
our philosophies on motherhood, to discuss our work and birth work, if that's what we do, but mainly to bring women of all different cultures together so that we can talk about how we mother, how we hashtag do motherhood so that we can learn from one another and learn to love each other. That's really what it's all about. I hope you'll join us. Intercultured with Anya Dula podcast is available on all the major podcast stations. I hope you'll join us. Can't wait to connect.